Well, welcome everybody to our breakout session. Uh, it's called From Isolation to Intimacy, How Jesus Combats Our Loneliness. Hopefully that's where you signed up to be. If not, we're, we're glad you're here. This is my wife, Liz. My name is Brian. We are gonna be leading this session and uh, we're really excited you're here. So thanks for, thanks for coming. Um, before we begin our session, you can open up, to, I think, to page 22 and 23 in your, in your packet. That's where you'll find the, the text for today and some notes. Uh, I just wanna start our time by saying thank you. Thanks for coming today. I really mean that, um, particularly uh, with the topic of loneliness and, and the struggle with loneliness. I think one of the challenges is how isolating it feels, right? It can feel like I'm the only one that struggles with this. Is there anybody else who, who, who experiences this. And so the fact that we're all here, we're together, that should be an encouraging fact. I, somebody asked me at breakfast, they said, what if in your breakout today, nobody shows up? Like, what if you're the only ones? And I was like, that's a free date for my wife and I. So I don't know, that, that's like bonus. Um, no, but it's encouraging that, that, that you're not alone in this. And so even before we begin, I actually, this might feel cheesy, but I think it's actually helpful. Turn to the people next to you, right, left, front, back, and tell them, I'm glad you're here. Like, take a second, I'm glad you're here. Yeah. This just turned into a group hangout. This is actually all this is gonna be. This is what our session is. Well, thanks for, thanks for coming. And, and we really are glad you're here. So thanks, thanks for making uh, time. Thanks for, for joining us for this session. Um, hopefully, even that little exercise encouraged you, which literally means to give you courage to see that you're not alone. And uh, loneliness is something I think we can, we can all relate to. Uh, I, was, I was reading something that even before the COVID-19 pandemic, that had its own challenges, but even before then, one out of every two people reported feeling at times lonely. And even since then, uh, eight out of 10 people in the ages 18 through 24 regular report feeling alone, feeling lonely, feeling like nobody gets them. And so this is the place the place to be, and our hope is that as we look at this topic of loneliness through a gospel perspective, through the eyes of Jesus and what he has to offer, it'll actually help us both to understand our loneliness, but as our title says, uh, to, to more and more combat it, uh, to realize that we are not, in fact, alone, that we have a God, even as Dave mentioned earlier, right? We are all loneliness lepers, and we are welcome here, that God sees us, he loves us, and he draws us to invite us into a relationship with him. And so that's what we're gonna talk about this morning, I was, I was researching this topic a little bit because something I wanted to learn about. And as my wife and I were talking about this, I came across this thing called the Loneliness Project. You can write it down, you can Google it later. It's, it's an endeavor to help people in their loneliness. And what they do is they invite people to, to send in blurbs about their experience of loneliness. And so these are a few of the anonymous blurbs that people wrote in to the Loneliness Project. Listen to what they have to say. One person said, I spent two hours alone wandering around Ikea because I was too nervous to ask people to come with me. I ate two hot dogs and bought nothing. Another person writes in, I think my grandpa passing was a very lonely time for me. As well as most of my, my recent move, everything was so stressful. My childhood house was getting renovated. There was loss in my family and I had to let go of a lot of things. My childhood was literally disappearing before my eyes. One more person, a teenager actually writes, and they said, I read the Harry Potter series eight times in elementary school and middle school because I didn't have any friends, and the characters in those books were the only things that made me feel less alone. Maybe you can relate to some of those, uh, those people. Maybe if you would have written in a blurb, it would have sounded something like that. 
As you guys think about loneliness or your experience of being alone or the sadness or whatever it is, uh, as you experience loneliness, what are some of the, the thoughts? Maybe even write some down on your packet. What are some of the, the most poignant or, or deepest emotions or thoughts you've had as you face seasons of loneliness? Liz and I thought of a few as, as we've experienced loneliness. Here, here's some that kind of hit us. One is just the feeling of, of being invisible. Like, does anybody even see me? Sometimes loneliness can look like being cynical towards life. Like, why me? Why, why, why does nobody else have to walk through the thing that I have to go through? Other times, loneliness can just look like perpetual boredom. I just feel like I don't even know what I'm supposed to be doing. Sometimes it looks like being jealous of other people, or sometimes it looks like feeling abandoned, and, and nobody actually understands the suffering that you're going through. It can look like a lot of different things. But I think if you've ever struggled with loneliness, you understand that feeling. And what we're gonna see this morning is that all lonely people have one thing in common, and that's why I put that, that definition there on your packet. This is how we're gonna define loneliness, just to have a, a working definition this morning. Loneliness is the distress someone feels when their social connections do not meet their need for emotional intimacy. Let me say it again. Dis the loneliness is the distress someone feels when their social connections do not meet their need for emotional intimacy. And see, what, what we read in the Bible, we're gonna unpack a little bit as we go along, what we find is that God did not intend for us to be alone. In fact, when the world was perfect, in, in, in the book of Genesis, right from the get-go, in chapter two, as God is creating the world, all these things he's saying, that's good, and that's good, and that's good. Do you know that he says one thing is not good? Chapter two, verse 18, he says, the one thing that's not good is for man to be alone. He looks at his world, he says, that is not good. And so at that point, that's when God creates Eve. In other words, he creates companionship. He creates friendship. He, he infuses the need for and the provision of community and intimacy into the very DNA that he's given us. We were never intended to be alone. And, and, and what I wanna say even before we get into our, our, our outline is this, that sometimes we hear that verse and we're like, okay, I've heard that verse before. Maybe you've been to a wedding recently and, and you've heard it's not good for man to be alone and often that's used as, as a, 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 a rationale for people to say that's why it's good. The, the husband and wife are coming together. Yes, it relates to marriage. I wanna, I wanna argue that it's not even primarily about marriage because here's why. If that verse were only talking about marriage, it means at least two things. One, you and I are, are doomed to a life of loneliness at least for the first 20 or 30 years of life because that's usually when people get married, right? So like, good luck, okay? But two, right? But two, um, it can't describe or explain why people who are married can be just as lonely as any single person you'll meet. So, so it's not just talking about marriage, but what it is talking about is that God has, has created a resource for us horizontally with one another, and it reminds us even of our relationship with him. That's what we're gonna unpack this morning. And so if you wanna follow along on your outline, there, uh, page 23, I think you'll find it. What we find and what we're gonna see is that when people are most lonely, what, what they often need is intimacy, not company, right? It's why you can be surrounded even by a group of people of 500 people at fall conference. You're like, there's lots of people I still feel alone. I still feel like nobody gets me, like I, I'm alone in this world. And so first I wanna unpack why is loneliness 
so lonely? What are, the, what are the main culprits that fuel and feed our loneliness such that if we understand them, we can start to starve our loneliness and start to move out of our loneliness? Here's a, here's a few that we thought of. There's certainly more, but here's some of the big ones. Here's the first. One of the reasons we're lonely is when FOMO, you guys know what that is, FOMO be actually becomes ROMO. Like, what's Romo? I made it up. It rhymed. I liked it. Okay, FOMO becomes remote. The fear of missing out becomes the reality of missing out. You guys have experienced this before, right? The, the, the group that's going to see a movie on the weekend, it's a group text, and somehow they don't include your name on it, right? The fear of missing out actually becomes your reality. Or, or nobody thinks to invite you to lunch, or nobody remembers your birthday. The, the thing that you fear the most, it leads you to be lonely because it actually happens, I remember back in my, my mid-20s, remember having this conversation with Liz, uh, you know, back in the heyday of Facebook when it like was actually cool, like 10, 15 years ago, um, it was not abnormal for people on your birthday to write on your wall. And like 50, 100, 150 people, they'd say things like, happy birthday, have a great day, hope you're doing well. Well, there was this one birthday, I think it was around 24, 25, when I looked on my Facebook wall, like halfway through the day, nobody had written on my wall, zero people. And I honestly, I felt, I felt dejected. I felt rejected by people. I'm like, does nobody care that it's my birthday? Now I came to find out I had some, I don't know how I did this because I'm not very techie. I turned off the birthday notification. So like nobody got the push notification as my birthday. People still should remember it, but they didn't. Okay. So I gave him some grace. It's the first day of summer, June 21st. Come on. Um, but it, it was sad. I was like, does nobody love me? Right? My fear of missing out actually became my reality. And that can fuel our loneliness. Maybe it's one of the reasons that you don't look forward to significant events or birthdays or holidays. You're like, it's just gonna play out the same way it always does. I'm gonna be alone. That's one of the reasons we feel so lonely. Here's another reason, suffering and grief. When life is difficult, suffering can bring on loneliness. Often when we experience some form of suffering, it makes us to feel lonely because it's not just that life is difficult, but it's the thing that we're walking through nobody else totally gets. Like even if you explain to people, this is what's hard and this is why it hurts and this is what I'm walking through, you're like, okay, but they don't quite connect or they, there's a limit to their understanding and their compassion. That's why there's that verse from 1 Corinthians 2. It says, for who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? That means even your closest friend, even your BFF, even my wife Liz will never totally get what you're walking through because only you yourself are experiencing it. Now we'll see in a little bit that God totally does, but that can make life very, very difficult. One professional counselor says it this way. He says, we want to talk and be heard. We wanna be known and understood. We do not want to feel invisible. We want to be included and cared about. We desire intimacy to be connected to others. And when we're suffering, what often is hardest is that we feel cut off. We feel unable to connect with others, despite our best efforts. That often fuels loneliness. Here's the third reason we feel so lonely, comparison to others. I mean, I'm kind of late in the game to social media, but I'm trying my best. Okay, I have a TikTok account now, okay, right? But you guys, this is, this is like normal for you, right? Social media is what you guys were raised on. And what's so difficult, there's a lot of benefits to social media, but one of the things that's so difficult is it, is it, it, it fuels this comparison culture. Right? As you scroll through your newsfeed, it's so tempting to say, man, I'm not, I'm not as cool as they are. I'm not as great as they are. And in a world of social media influencers, 
when every post seems to be cured. You're like, what do these people even do for a living? They're just like dancing and eating awesome meals, right? In a world of that, I don't even know how they get paid, right? Okay, but in a world of that, we compare ourselves to them. And, 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 and so probably a lot of us, we think, I'm not doing as well as they are. I'm not as cool as they are. I'm not as happy as they are. And we start to compare. We start to, to use that as the baseline of our life. I, I, was, I was coming across a, an article, actually, the University of Pennsylvania. They, they're pretty smart down there. They, 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 they did this study. They took 143 college students, and they divided them into two groups, 143 divided by two. I don't get it, but they're smart, okay? 143 divided by two. They certainly into these two groups. And the one group, they said, we want you just to do everything you normally do, right? Use TikTok, use Instagram, use Facebook, Snapchat, whatever you do. Keep doing it the way you normally do it, okay? They're like, well, that's easy, okay. And then this other group, they said, okay, for you guys, you're only allowed to use each social media platform for 10 minutes a day. I don't even know if that's possible, but it was possible. For three weeks, they did this thing. You know what they found? It's not surprising that people in the second group felt far less lonely. Why is that? Why is that? Because there's, there's a point of, of diminishing return that comes very quickly with social media. It has its benefits, yes, but you don't need to be on it very long before it starts to suck you dry and make you feel more and more lonely. In comparison to others, we often do that. Here's a fourth reason, unconfessed sin. In the Bible, it talks about this idea where when we, when we don't bring our life and particularly the ways that we're failing and sinning into the light, it isolates us from other people and certainly from the Lord. And here's the thing, the areas of our life that we isolate ourselves in are usually the same areas in which we need the most help. They're, they're the areas where we carry the most discontentment or the most pain one, one, one author says it this way, Lydia Brownback, she says, what's ironic is that more often than not, the sin we are in began as an attempt to escape the very loneliness it ends up creating. Idolatry is a breeding ground for loneliness. Friends, do you have unconfessed sin in your life? Maybe as you think about your life, you say, I, I, I don't have trouble identifying that area, but I'm so fearful to tell others about it for the very fear that I'll be rejected, that people will think less of me. And as we'll see in just a few minutes, it's the kindness and grace of God that actually draws us to have courage to bring our sin into the light. And actually it creates intimacy with God and with one another. But often we believe this lie that we need to keep it private because we'll be even more rejected. Our unconfessed sin fuels loneliness. Here's another reason we feel so lonely, life transitions. You guys probably know the top two uh, reasons in life that people tend to feel most sad and most lonely. The one is the loss of a child. The other is the loss of a spouse. Those are always the top two in any survey why people feel most lonely in life. You know number three? Moving to a new area. Moving to a new area. Because this transition, it, it uproots you. It, everything that you know and, and, and is comfortable and is foundational in your life all of a sudden changes. Last reason I think we often feel so lonely is just our personality, right? Some of us just have different temperaments. So, you know, it's those people you, get, you just feel like, I'm just more of a loner, and that's okay. You're like, nothing's wrong with you per se. We just have different personalities and desires. But sometimes if you feel like that and that's you, it can be easier to kind of be isolated and like, I don't even know how to move toward people. And so that's just in some ways the reality of living in a, in a broken world. We're not, we're not in heaven yet, and, and, and it takes work 
to, to build relationships. And so what we're going to see is as, as we move on from some of these, these difficult things and why do we feel so lonely, we don't want to leave you there because we want to give you hope and, and, and promises from God that there are spiritual causes, yes, but there are also relational inadequacies, inadequacies that we face. And so what does the gospel do? How does Jesus actually help combat those very things? Well, here's how he does it. He helps to transform the very things we struggle with and redeem them into things that he's working in us and he's working around us. And so I put down just a, a number of things that Jesus does to combat our loneliness. You see him there in point two, right? That Jesus transforms, firstly, being misunderstood into being known. Being misunderstood into being known. One of the reasons, as we already said, that you might feel so lonely is because nobody gets me, right? Nobody understands what I'm walking through. And so maybe my style, my sense of humor, my, my pain, or even my past trauma, right? Nobody totally gets it, but listen to what Psalm 139 says. Psalmist says, O Lord, this is beautiful, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. And catch this, before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. Friends, what that psalm is saying is that God knows you better than you know yourself. God knows you better than you know yourself. He knows you. If you want to think about it like this, he knows you like butter knows an English muffin. Right? Down to the nooks and crannies, baby. <laughs> okay? You're going to think about breakfast differently tomorrow. He, he, he knows not just the words that we say. He knows the motivations behind them. He, he knows the fears that prompt us to say or the, or the delight to that, what comes out of our mouth. And he knows it and he cares about it. He draws near to us even when we feel distant from him. And so if you ever feel misunderstood by other people, and guess what? You will because we're all finite. You know that there's a God, a heavenly father who knows exactly how you feel and who is longing to hear from us. So the next time maybe you feel misunderstood by someone, you don't, have to, you don't have to pressure them. You don't have to force them to get you at all costs. And you don't need to push them away when they don't. Because you have a heavenly father who you can run to who, who, who longs to hear from you. Being misunderstood into being known. That's how Jesus transforms our loneliness into intimacy. Here's another thing that Jesus does. He transforms being forgotten into being God's friend. One of the challenges of, of loneliness is that you feel at times very small. You feel forgotten. You feel about as invisible as a piece of dust. And so what, what the Bible does is it gives you this promise. It says you're, you're not just this, this insignificant creature that God has created. He calls you his friend. He, he loves you. And if anyone knew what it was like to be forgotten or to, to be misunderstood, it was Jesus. Think about his life, particularly at the end of the gospel accounts. All of his closest friends... Even the ones who said, Jesus, we're going to get your back. We're going to stand by you no matter what. What did they do? They abandoned him. They disowned him. They denied even knowing him. And if that weren't enough, even Jesus' own father, what does it say? Forsook him. As he's hanging on the cross, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why is Jesus forsaken? Why is he abandoned? Why is he denied? It's because... He wanted us to have the hope from Hebrews 13, which says, I will never leave you. God says, I will never forsake you. I will never abandon you. I'll never leave you behind. Do you realize that if your faith is in Jesus Christ this morning, 
You are not simply, that, that you don't have a, a change of nature or a, a change of identity. You have a change of status. God calls you his friend. That's a powerful thing when it comes to loneliness. John 15, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. And if you understand that about God, it means at least two things. One, it means you already have the friend that you've been looking for, who gets you, who loves you, who accepts you. But it also means this, that if you have friendship with God, that there are no limits to friendship with other people, that you can reach out to people who might be alone. Why? Because God has equipped you. God has resourced you. God has filled your spiritual and emotional and relational account to reach out to others who might be in need. The friendship with God, powerful thing. Imagine if people, and, and, and us, imagine if we befriended people even with a fraction of the kind of love that God befriends us with. We'd see a far, far less loneliness on our campuses and in this world. Jesus transforms being forgotten to being God's friend. Notice this next thing. Jesus transforms our suffering into solace or comfort. One of the things that's most comforting, I think, when, when I'm in sadness, and maybe for you when you're in suffering, is to hear what God's word says about suffering. You know, sometimes this is what's dangerous about suffering. You share it with other people, and what do they do? They offer you these little trite statements. I hate that, right? You won't be in it forever. How do you know? <laughs> At least it's not so bad as so-and-so. Oh, yeah, what is, how does that help? It still hurts for me. The Bible doesn't offer those platitudes. What the Bible does do is it, is it, is it, is it, it accounts for men and women who are walking through difficult things, and as they do it, there's a faithful God who stands by them every single step of the way. Amen. Our, our, our deepest issues God cares about. In fact, Jesus, if you want to think about it like this, he doesn't wear a hazmat suit. I appreciate Dave's message earlier. He's, he's, he's not far from the leper. He, he, he actually gets splashed by our deepest pain and issues. That's why I included Isaiah 53. This is what it says about Jesus. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Surely, surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. In other words... God doesn't just get your suffering, he enters into your suffering. God doesn't just understand your pain, he takes on your pain. God has come so that we would never live out our greatest nightmare, being separated from him from all eternity. And he also cares for us in the day in and day out. And somehow, and I don't even know how this works, he will use our suffering to make us more and more like him. Philippians 3 says it this way, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Even our suffering somehow can deepen our intimacy with God. And maybe you've experienced that. Sometimes it's in the happy times in life when you feel closest to God. Oftentimes, though it's difficult, it's in the, it's in the harder moments of life that your relationship with God actually takes off. How that all works, it's a mystery to me, but God is faithful, and he's with us. Here's that's how Jesus transforms our loneliness. He transforms unconfessed sin into unconditional love. You know, I was thinking about this. Thanksgiving's coming, and I don't think I've ever experienced this unless there's a power outage, but usually you don't have Thanksgiving dinner in the dark, right? You turn the lights on. Why? 
because it's, it's dangerous if you try to have Thanksgiving dinner in the dark, or at least inconvenient at best, right? Okay, you understand that, but friends, as you have unconfessed sin, it's like trying to have a relationship and a, and a, and a hallmark Thanksgiving dinner with all the feels, but the lights are off. God invites us to come into the light. And I think one of Satan's greatest lies that he, that he causes us to believe, that he tempts us to believe, is that if we come into the light, we'll be rejected. If we come into the light, somehow we'll, we'll, we'll be stuck in our isolation and our sin. Here's, here's the beauty of the gospel. God already knows our moral failings. God already knows our sin. God already knows how you failed this morning, even before you made it to this session. And he's already forgiven that sin. And he's already died to pay for that sin. And he welcomes you to himself. Romans 5 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, in other words, while we were helpless, before we even knew we needed to be saved, Paul says, Christ died for us. He already took care of our problem. And so what will keep us from God, theologically, yes, it is our sin, but functionally, it's not so much that we're big sinners. It might be the fact that we think our sin is too big for God to handle or that we need to deal with it on our own or, or, or fix it in our own strength. That's what may keep us from God. That's a lie that Satan wants us to believe. And friends, it can be scary to, to bring our sin into the light, but I don't know if you've ever done this. You take the risk, you kind of go, God, I know I don't want to share this. It feels uncomfortable. I feel weird. I feel like I'm the only one that struggles. And then somehow maybe with a, a group of trusted friends or at a, a small group or some with family, you, you share it, and what happens? Surprisingly, you're not rejected. People are like, yeah, I actually, I can relate to that. I struggle too with that. You're like, really? I thought I was the only one. And, and you're met with people that want to pray with you and walk with you in the midst of your struggle and actually creates even more trusted friendships. That's the lie that Satan wants you to believe, that no one will accept you. There's actually uh, healing and strength that comes as we share our struggles with others. I'm not saying to air out all our dirty laundry, but to find a trusted friend or a trusted counselor or mentor and share how you've been struggling. Unconfess sin and unconditional love. Here's the next thing. Two more reasons, then we're, we're going to hear from Liz and how this actually works out practically. Jesus transforms being scared into being safe. It's that quote on your outline where it says, without emotional security, each relationship seems like a rotten floorboard. In other words, what that author is saying is that sometimes we think we're standing on solid ground and we, 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 we open up our life to people and it's used against us. Maybe you've been abused. Maybe you have been betrayed. Maybe you just have been, been shamed and you go, I'm not standing on that floorboard again because that was a rotten floorboard. In fact, I'm not standing on any floorboard ever again. <laughs> I'm just going to isolate myself. I'm going to move away from people such that I will never be hurt again. And, and in some ways it protects us, but it makes us even more lonely. And what the gospel does is it comes along and it says that God, he sees how we have been hurt. He sees the pain we're in. He sees how we have maybe been abused or, or betrayed or used by others. And he not only sees it, but he cares because God is not just a God of mercy. He's a God of justice. Psalm 68 says this, Father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads forth the prisoners with singing. Or maybe you're familiar with Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Later on in that psalm, this is what the psalmist says. God prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. That even in the midst of, of situations in life that can feel and actually at times be unsafe, God is, is with us as our protector, as our defender, as the one who brings justice 
I remember when I was about 10 years old, I, I grew up in Reading, Pennsylvania, and I'd, I, I loved going to the park. I loved playing basketball and all things sports. And I remember one particular afternoon, I had walked down to the park, and I don't even remember all the details, but this is 25 years ago. But I do remember, as I was shooting basketball, these two kids that were teenagers at the park, they decided that for whatever reason, they didn't like me that day. And, and they kind of picked me out amongst my friends, and they kind of like isolated me and kind of put, put me in a corner, and they just started railing on me. And they just started punching me. And I'm like, I got to get out of here. And so I, I ran. I ran home, and I got home. I remember my dad was like, what's going on? How you doing? I'm like, it's okay. It's fine. Nothing's wrong. And we had planned earlier that day to go down to the, the park to play basketball. He had the day off of work, and he's like, well, why don't we just go down to the park and, and, and shoot around? And after that, the park was the last place that I wanted to be. I was like, I'm not going down there for the rest of my life. <laughs> and i never forget my dad said, he, he said, we're going to go down to the park. <laughs> I was like, no, we're not. <laughs> He's like, we're going to go down to the park. And I don't care if those bullies are there. We're going to shoot basketball like we had intended. And somehow, as I went down with my dad, who's was not even like a big guy, but I love my dad, we went down to the park. And you know what? Those bullies never messed with me again. They saw that my dad was with me. He was there to protect me. I had a defender beside me. And, and friends, that's, that's true of our earthly fathers. I hope for you. That's true of our heavenly father. And that doesn't mean what I'm not saying is that we will not walk through difficult things in life. Sometimes we will experience pain. We live in a broken world where people sometimes will sin against us in some very terrible ways. But we have a father who cares and that he, he promises that one day justice will come out. And friends, that's a promise to us that actually, I think, helps us to move toward people even if we've experienced pain in relationships. We know that our heavenly father is with us. Here's the last thing that Jesus transforms. As we struggle and we find ourselves in loneliness, comparison into confidence. Gospel kills comparison. actually gives us a confidence to move toward people and to know that we are loved. Right? Jesus, he defines us, so actually there's nothing, less, there's nothing left to, to, to compare ourselves to. Because what, is, what does the gospel say? It, it shows us how far we've fallen short. He compares us to himself, but he doesn't leave us there. He raises us to be with where he is. It'd be like this. It'd be like, because I think, I think he still holds the record, right? Usain Bolt, sprinter. You guys have seen this guy. Super fast, okay? I think he's still the fastest man in the world. Okay, it, it's, it's when the Olympic committee, it's as if they declare him to be the fastest man in the world, okay? He is not fretting his day away comparing himself to other sprinters. Why? <laughs> Because he is the gold standard. Usain Bolt is the fastest man alive. Okay? If you are a Christian, hear me say this. You are the gold standard. What I mean by that is that you have an inheritance that cannot be taken away from you. You have access to your heavenly father. You, you are loved by the king more than you will ever know. It doesn't matter what someone else may say about you. In fact, if there were a bank big enough, it couldn't contain the wealth and the riches that God has promised you as you see him and you live with him and you experience him in his fullness one day. The gospel kills comparison because it gives us a confidence in Christ that cannot be shattered, that cannot be taken away. It empowers us to actually get out of our room at times and go spend time with other people, even when it feels scary or even when it feels hard. 
That's part of how Jesus combats our loneliness. There's more we could say. I want to maybe put some, uh, put the, the rubber to the road a little bit and share what does that look like practically. And so I'm going to invite my wife Liz up here. She's going to share with you uh, some different seasons of life where she has struggled most with loneliness. And I want you to keep an eye out for three things. Number one, as she shares these different seasons of life, what happened, what helped, and then what's a practical as we sure. combat our loneliness. Thanks, babe. I still struggle with loneliness off and on, but I want to take you back to my first season I want to talk through is when I was in high school. So I think I was around my sophomore year, and it was like the worst year of my life. I was kicked out of every social circle possible. I remember I was friends with all the cool girls, and somehow I found myself eating lunch in the bathroom by myself. That was the first social circle. The second one was I was a basketball player, and within the first week, I sprained my ankle, and I no longer was a starter. I was sitting the bench. And the third way, believe it or not, is I failed a class. And so even in my elite academic circle, I was kicked out of that one as well. And so it led me to desperation, and I started asking, what is the point of life? Like, I literally have nothing and no one. But looking back, I realized the area I was most lonely in, and I didn't even know it, was that I was disconnected from God, the very one who made me to know him. So that's what happened. Here's what helped. As I was losing friendships and social status, there was Christians in my high school. Has anyone ever heard of Young Life? Maybe? Okay. Well, it's kind of like disciple makers, but it's to high school students. And so I heard about Jesus, who made a way for me to have an everlasting relationship with God, the most important relationship. And it gave me an identity that could never be stripped away, and a forever friend. And that's when I became a Christian. God had orchestrated my lonely circumstances for his good purposes. So here are two practical take-homes. If you are lonely but do not have a relationship with God this weekend— Come to Jesus. He has made a way for you to know him. He says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you want to talk to Brian and I, I don't think we have any afternoon plans. We would love to talk to you this afternoon, your staff worker or a trusted friend about what that could look like. If you are a believer, if you are in Christ, be willing to reach beyond the comforts of your friend, comforts of your friend group and invite outsiders in. Like, do you have an eye for the outsiders? Are you willing to leave your social group to bring others into that? Remember, you were once separated from God and he brought you into his family. So that was season one. Now I'm gonna walk you through season two of what happened and what helped. So I got involved in the Christian fellowship during college. I was a part of things. I was leading a Bible study, doing all these great things. But I had this deep fear of being alone. <clears throat> so instead of turning to God for comfort, I turned to a person. Though I still believed in Jesus, I treated a friend like they were my functional God. I lived for always being with this person. We would literally do everything together. We would eat together, take classes together, our free time was together, so that I would never be alone. As you can imagine, this was very unhealthy. <laughs> and led to a list of ungodly things. Jealousy, missed opportunities with other people, and anxiety, like this deep anxiety that if this person ever left me. I was basically trying to make a home or find my security and intimacy with another person. 
And you know what happened? Kind of like Brian talked about earlier, the very thing that I was trying to avoid loneliness is the very thing that I became more and more entrenched in. So that's what happened. Here's what helped. There were mentors and godly people in my life who helped me to repent or turn away from my relational idolatry. I was able to set up boundaries and bring my fears and foolishness into the, the light. First John 1 says, if we walk in the light, as God is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So that's our horizontal relationships. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And we are made right with God. That's our vertical relationship. So when you are lonely, it is so easy, if you're like me, to turn to a quick fix. Maybe that's food. Maybe that's doom scrolling, sleep, pornography, drinking. Another way of saying this is self-medicating our, um, our loneliness And usually the hard part isn't identifying these superficial solutions to loneliness. It's asking for help. So practically, here's my practical to you. Bring someone into your world and tell them where you self-medicate and confess it to God. The very act of bringing it into the light creates fellowship, as Brian had mentioned, with others. And it actually destroys our loneliness. The next season I want to talk to you is more recent. Um, I had a medical journey. That's probably how I entitled it. Basically, about two years ago, I had a medical crisis that turned into chronic pain for two years. It was so devastating. I couldn't drive. I couldn't take care of our five kids. I could not sleep. And Brian had to take three months off work. And emotionally, I could not even articulate the fear and depression that set in and felt like no one understood People meant well, but they couldn't fathom what I was going through. Heck, I didn't even know what I was going through. And so um, often suicidal thoughts were part of this process too. But you know what helped? It was the local church. (laughs) I actually did not want the local church in my home helping me. I was so stubborn. But I had no other choice. Um, And people were just really rallied around me. It was literally like an army had showed up at our house and took on our home and our life. I remember my friend from church driving my van because my hands would burn so much. I had friends weep with me over the phone. Another lady texted daily scripture to me. The elders even came into our home, anointed me with oil, according to James 5, and prayed over me. Another friend would come Thursday nights and help me put the kids to bed. They were committed to my cause. I wasn't alone. I was seen and known and cared for by the church. If it weren't for the church, I honestly don't know if I would be here today. 1 Corinthians 12, 26 says, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And so, like, as I was suffering, the church was truly suffering with me. Thankfully, I'm not in that dire season right now. And so I can help meet others in their anguish. I have a dear friend who is walking through chemo for cancer. And because I've been comforted by the body so well through the Lord, I know better how to walk with her in her deep suffering so that she doesn't feel quite alone. My practical for you is make every effort to be part of a local church. The church is not man's idea or merely a social club to be part of. No, it's God's idea given to his people to help combat loneliness. Romans 12, four through five says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. 
body. We need each other in order to function. Every organ, every member is vital and non-negotiable. If we don't have it, we are poorer for it. So if you are part of a church, which I hope you are, are you finding ways to serve the body with your gifts? These things will help combat your loneliness and the loneliness of others. Thanks for sharing. Um, as, as we wrap up our, our session, I, I hope you kind of saw from what Liz even shared about some of the seasons of loneliness, that loneliness can, in fact, have seasons to it, right? Just one week you're feeling connected. You're like, I'm, I feel known. I feel loved. And then something hits, and it's like, man, I'm struggling again. I feel, I feel empty. I feel, I feel isolated. And so that's very normal. I think as we share even our experience of loneliness, it normalizes it and it invites other people to share some of their struggles with loneliness. That can be a really powerful thing. So maybe even over lunch, you don't need to share about every detail of your life, but maybe invite people into your story and and ask that the Lord would use that to encourage people around you. And so we we see that from even Liz's testimony. But friends, as we already talked about, the the good news of God is that we are not alone, right? God has sought us. He has purchased us, he has bought us, and he has brought us into his family. And that's, that's hope that we can take to the bank, right? That, that we are part of his family if we trust in Christ. And if you don't yet know Christ this weekend, he invites you to be part of his family such that you would never be alone. And, and our hope is not to just say, from this point on, we'll never struggle with loneliness again. No, but if you can take even one promise that you've heard today or scripture or, or, or who God is and what he's doing, would we would we? Would we sink our teeth into that and build our life upon that, that would more and more change our isolation into intimacy. So let's pray that the Lord would help us with that. And let me, let me even pray for lunch as we, as we head to it. Let's pray. God, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you saw us before, um, God, we were even formed. God, that you died for us to make us your own and that you see the, the, the challenges we walk through. You see the pain that we live with. Uh, physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally. God, I, uh, I thank you that you care, and I thank you that we can run to you, that we can find comfort in you, that we can find protection in you, that we can find delight in you. God, would you help us to know more of you? Would you help us to reach out to a friend or someone today? Uh, God, for, for those of us who particularly feel most alone or most lonely, God, would you do a good work in us that we might know more of you and experience uh, your grace? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.